Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Rate Specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, Blake Gwynn, Head of US Rate Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. Hi everyone, welcome back to another Bondcast. Um, we're recording this fresh after the ECB on Thursday, so let's get straight into that. Um, over to you, Giles. What, um, what did we learn this week? I guess we always expected it to kind of be a bit of a placeholder meeting. It's a sort of mid-quarter meeting after a big meeting in March. Um, was it any more exciting than we were expecting or not at all? Well, we came in with nice low expectations, and I, I think that she managed to really undershoot those expectations significantly. It was possibly the dullest meeting that I can remember having listened to, and I've listened to a lot of ECB meetings. Listen, I mean, you know, going back to your original question, what did we learn? Not a lot. I mean, no, I think we already knew that communication is... A little, a little bit of a problem, but it's particularly a problem, I suppose, when they don't really have a message. And I think that that was really the, the main thing, that there was no message. They didn't, I mean, we're always taught not to take meetings and not <laughs> speaking engagements unless you have a message. Um, you know, I guess that they, they can't really back out of their six weekly meetings at all. So, so listen, I mean, everything has just been deferred till, till June, and that is the end of it. And you know, any pressure to prejudge whether they might reduce the purchase pacing in the PEP or anything like that was firmly battered away, to be honest with you. So, what, where are we left? I mean, you know, I think that the main interesting things were where there was a comment sort of buried halfway through where Lagarde said that um, they've increased their purchase pace to something like the pace that they had in. July last year. And that could be a little bit telling. I mean, it's it's a little ambiguous, as you would expect, right? Because, I mean, you know, do they really mean July or do they mean the average of July and August or, or whatever? But we sort of inferred from that that there might be a little bit of upside risk in the purchase pattern and pace over the next six weeks. And I don't think the market was re really had that in mind as something it wanted to hear. And so you know, that I think probably explains why we had the positive reaction halfway through. And I think it makes it probably a little less likely that this tipping point we've been talking about where we perhaps you know, shift from this bullish stance where we're expecting everything really just to be dominated by flows which are pretty supportive to you know something where we're trading a little bit more in line with the more rates bearish you know economy bullish fundamentals you know maybe that's just been pushed a little bit so I think that's really my main takeaway. And she was a little bit more optimistic I would say than perhaps she was in March around the kind of medium term outlook um, does that make you comfortable that this significantly higher purchase pace does step down in Q3 or um, do you think it's really kind of too hard to infer from anything what she was saying today and, and like you say that that decision really has been pushed back till June well, I think whatever you thought before, you can continue to think now. I mean, they, there was really no additional steer from, from Christine Lagarde today. What we previously thought was that they will step down somewhat 
uh, from from June. And I suppose, you know, maybe we, you know, we need to start talking numbers. I'm not going to do that today, to be honest with you. But I, I do think that they will reduce their their purchase pace from this sort of you know, surge, which you know, I mean. I think makes sense given that you know, we were really quite uncertain about what was going on with COVID and you know, the, the, what the timeline was for the recovery in Europe back in March. And I think it will look quite different in June. So I think it would make sense for them to, to, to reduce from there. But let's just see. Okay, seems like a, a theme we're just going to have to monitor then and, and um, doesn't bode for a hugely exciting conversation today. So with that, but we'll leave the ECB there then. Um, and we've had this, um, you know, bearish call, as, as we've spoken about a lot of times on the pod before, for 1% in 10-year yields. Um, but actually, um, over the past kind of few weeks, there's been uh, movement in the other direction in gilts. You know, we've had, I imagine they, well, you can tell me otherwise, but, you know, with the moves that we've seen in treasuries, gilts, gilts have kind of followed and, and we've had this rally. So, what's been kind of going on there and and what's different now that makes you confident that we're still going to reach that one percent target yeah i think it's um it has been a very exciting period uh, in the uk market and it has been exciting for different reasons one is really because uh we've had puzzling market reactions right so we had that thursday uh the previous Thursday, not this one, when pretty much on the back of stronger US data, we saw a significant market rally and then a sell-off. And then we saw gilts very much following that. So definitely the UK market is being traded as, 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 a, as a proxy to the US market. And the UK market did benefit from the ore. The UK market did follow the sell-off that we had in treasuries at the beginning of the year, but also the UK market had to follow in that rally. It has been a smaller, uh, a sub 1% and sub 1% beta. So it has not been, the rally in the UK has been smaller than in treasuries, but it definitely, it did happen. There are other reasons also. Uh, and I think uh, the, the other reasons are really one, that uh, we expect on Friday, 23rd of April. So this will be tomorrow. So we do expect an announcement and potential revision to uh, guilt issuance numbers. And this has made a lot of investors be hesitant and reduce some of their short positions. Uh, some investors actually have gone long guilts on the back of that. So this is one. Uh, the other point is the change in the progress with regards to vaccinations. And the UK from being the unambiguous winner and from the UK being really in short guilt, from being the trade that everybody loved to have in terms of you know a bearish position, uh, well, that view definitely has been challenged. What, made us, what makes us convinced and why do we like that view? Well, we think that really fundamentally not much has changed. Um, we may get a bit less guilt issuance, but still we talk about a fairly high pace. We still talk about a Bank of England that will taper later this year. So the May meeting is particularly important. Um, if a tapering doesn't happen at the May meeting, then we'll probably talk about a sharper tapering at some point later. Uh, so I think tapering is likely to happen. And then it is still the market where you know, fundamentals are looking good. We will be talking about higher uh, inflation. And if we connect all those dots, uh, the, the underlying story is not so bad. So what did we say in March, the beginning of March? Cut your, your exposure to half, but still target 1%. Well, 
the story is not really very different, but uh, well, probably we may, we may be at a point where we need to increase our bearish position. Okay. Um, and so just um, picking up on what you said there around, well, both um, around the Bank of England tapering and, and inflation too. We obviously, one of the data highlights this week in the UK was the inflation print on uh, Wednesday. Um, and that came in, I guess, pretty much in, in line with expectations in terms of the overall numbers. I think there were some surprises when, when we looked a bit at, at the breakdown that, that weren't uh, as close to expectations as the kind of headline figures were. Um, what's your take on, on that inflation print? And has that changed what you're thinking about the Bank of England in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Inflation is is quite a key component. I think uh, inflation is the big theme everywhere, um, predominantly, I would say, uh, in the UK and the US, because we will have higher inflation later this year. Uh, so what we saw was a consistent and a persistent strength in, sorry, a persistent weakness in food uh, inflation. So this is something which it became more structural rather than just a blip. Now, is this important? Well, we've got a, a part of the whole basket that subtracts around 15 to 20 basis points from the whole index. So yeah, if it, is, it, is, it is significant. So food inflation is something which has been uh, consistently uh, weaker. Now, uh, th- there's been a normalization in other items. Um, what does it mean? Well, I think that it means that the move up that we will experience with regards to the inflation numbers may be a bit less muted than otherwise uh, expected. And what we continue to see is a market where expectations of the actual inflation print continue to be higher than the realization. So this is something that we, we, we have experienced since the November print. So it has been five prints with an, uh, with an undershoot uh, from the actual RPI number relative to what the market did expect heading into that RPI release. So it doesn't change our view. Well, I think that uh, to some extent it makes a case of, you know, the BOE not being so hawkish. Um, but, uh, but for me, the, the bigger opportunity is really to be still short the UK inflation market and, and particularly the front end of the curve, because basically it is a very good carry trade position. You've got inflation that realizes a lot lower than where it is priced. You stay with the position. And as long as that takes place, you make money from being short. Okay, so just, I guess, a bit more of a general question then um, before we move over to Blake in the US. Um, Aside from inflation, what are you watching as kind of um, big risks to uh, UK investors right now? So I guess politics will be one important factor, and uh, we were used to to to, to marking guilt to political events back in 2019. 2019 was a very political year uh, to get the views, the guilt view right. You had to follow politics. So um, this obviously did change in 2021 because Brexit is out of the picture. But um, we have elections in Scotland. And this will be a potential driver of, uh, you know, of some additional volatility. So this is one. Two, what happens with the Bank of England? And we know that member Haldane has been announced that he is uh, leaving later this year. Uh, who will replace him and to what extent the composition of the BOE continues to be um, at the same level because Haldane has been uh, an advocate 
of, you know, of a tighter monetary policy. So this, this was his stance at the latest meetings. And I would say any volatility that we have in the market. So because the market does expect this lower volatility regime to last. And if you speak to most investors, they will, well, they will say that things are very dull, things are very boring, things do not shake. And this is usually the moment when things start to shake. So I think that volatility, that become volatility could actually happen without necessarily much additional news. That makes sense. Thanks, Theo. Um, so over to you then, Blake. I've, I've got some kind of um, bit more specific questions, I suppose, to ask you around um, refunding and also what's been going on in the front end this week. But before we get stuck into those, I just wanted to kind of check in with you around um, your outlook for treasuries from here, you know, I know you, like us in Europe, have kind of been waiting to pull the trigger on, on that bearish view. Um, last week we spoke after we'd had that kind of confusing price action in treasuries following the really strong data and then the, the big rally. Um, are you any closer this week to kind of changing that view to being more outright bearish? Yeah, we've gotten a little closer to the levels um, you know, if, if you read the pieces that we put out um, in print, uh, we, we, you know, we've highlighted a couple levels that we'd be looking at for various trades. And um, this week we had a little bit of a rally uh, at the beginning of the week. It's been very quiet in the U.S. You know, Fed is in the blackout period. We haven't had any uh, major U.S. data, you know, kind of quiet on the political front. So um, things have been kind of chopping around. We did rally a little bit, pushing us closer to those levels. Um, so I really do think it's, it's getting close to that time when you start thinking about setting up uh, uh, those shorts. We just haven't pulled the trigger yet. We, given that we haven't reached um, those levels that, that we were, you know, we're, we're highlighting, we're within a couple of basis points. So really hoping we can get there. Um, I did want to take a look at um, some of the data coming out of Japan, the weekly bond buying figures, see if there's any kind of signs there that the demand from Japan is continuing which is something that could continue to push yields a little bit lower, providing us better entry. Um, also just kind of getting past today's ECB meeting, um, you know, earlier this week, kind of thinking, you know, this is really a medium longer term view that, that we're thinking about with that bearish view. So, you know, we're in no rush. And, and so kind of waiting to those, waiting until those events had passed uh, to see, you know, if we, if we did end up getting a slightly better entries, but, it, but, you know, within the next days to weeks, it, it really, uh, it really looks like it's about time. Okay, something we'll be watching then over over the next few weeks. <clears throat> okay, so like you said, it's been it's been a fairly quiet week the past week in the US. So um, I guess that gives us a, a chance to talk about things that we perhaps might not otherwise talk about on on this pod. And and one of those things is that the um, uh, the uh, primary dealer survey, if that's what it's called, <laughs> ahead of the May quarterly refunding announcement has been kind of distributed. And and one of these. One of the questions on that survey that has, I guess, caused a little bit of a stir or certainly caused investors' um, interest to be piqued is around um, cut, well, what they might do about 20-year supply. So can you kind of just give us a bit of background on that and why it's interesting and, and what your thoughts are around that? Yeah, sure. And just a little bit of context around that survey. Um, Treasury does this survey quarterly. There's a lot of regular questions on it about supply numbers. But every time they have two or three special questions, um, you know, that they, that they include about specific topics, this is often where Treasury um, keys in on future changes. They kind of walk the market. They've used it in the past to kind of walk the market in a certain way. You know, when they're going to roll out a new benchmark, for example, they have 
you know, all the quarterly refunding surveys leading up to that ask questions specifically about that new benchmark and, you know, should we do FRN, you know, should we do FRNs, yes or no? And so it kind of leads the market uh, to these decisions. Other times it's really just checking the temperature of markets. You know, really they have an interest in, in some things that are going on and they'd like a little more color on it. I think this probably tends more to the latter than the former, meaning I don't think that that them asking a special question about 20-year supply um, is is walking specifically to cuts. I think some of the market are taking it that way or looking at this and saying, oh, this, you know, Treasury may be uh, heading into to cut 20-year supply at this quarterly refunding meeting coming up in two weeks. Um, I think they're really just gauging interest. Um, this is a new security. Keep in mind, it, it had its inaugural issue last May. So this is a this is an infant in as far as treasury terms. I mean, it's it's only got four Q-zips. It's a very new security, um, and and it had to. I mean, think about it. it had to get rolled out in one of the worst uh, worst times. You know, treasury was seeing a huge surge in borrowing needs, and that got rolled out at just the wrong time. They increased supply in a way that they never would have done if they had rolled it out during a normal period. I mean, usually when you bring a new security to the market. You don't really change supply for for a while until it builds uh, a little bit of an ecosystem around that point in the curve. You know, corporates start issuing there, people start using it for hedging purposes, real money investors start uh, uh, adding it, get, getting comfortable adding it to their portfolios. This security never had that chance. It got ramped up very rapidly, and as such, it's traded very cheap to where you would expect it to trade. Relative, you know, if you look at where tens trade, if you look at where thirties trade, where you would expect it to trade is traded very cheap to those levels. So I think Treasury just wants to come out. Take the temperature, see where markets are at, um, you know, and then maybe maybe we do head head to cuts at some point in the future. But I really think that that's a story, um, you know, that happens the next time they're looking at increases or decreases to the entire coupon stack. Maybe twenties are are just um, you know held back on on any further increases or they're exaggerated in any future cuts. Okay, that makes sense. So when do we um, when will we find out more about when does this announcement come and we'll know more about it. May 5th is the refunding announcement. Um, you know, it's it's probably, you know, if, if, if I'm right, it's really that you won't hear any, you won't hear anything, you know, they won't announce a cut. They'll probably have some color in the statement about, you know, this is the feedback we received, we're keeping an eye on it, you know, there'll be some kind of language like that. Uh, just one other thing to note, and this kind of ties back into some things we've talked about in prior weeks, We've also got some stuff going on with the Fed. They've actually talked about buying more of it. So we've kind of got these two sides. We're potentially looking at a cut to supply and we're potentially looking at the Fed buying more. Um, we did get a speech from Lori Logan since the last time we spoke in which she said that there may be changes to the next uh, uh, monthly schedule for the Fed's purchase operations. So we're gonna be looking at that May 5th for treasury when we find out about supply, but we're also gonna be looking at that next um, calendar release for uh, for the Fed's purchase schedule to see if maybe the Fed um, steps up their purchases of 20s, which is something I, I very much expect. Okay, so it seems like it could be an almost perfect storm then for, for the 20 year if, if we have supply cutting. Uh, well, if we have supply cutting and then- I'm, the I'm optimistic, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, so May 5th is the key date. I'm optimistic so in 20s, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's the key takeaway, and we'll, we'll definitely circle back to that on on May fifth or the the pod around that date. Um, so the other, I guess, interesting part of the curve, then moving from the long end to to the very front end, is um, the kind of squeeze that we're seeing there, and and that resulting in um, you know a high usage of of the Fed's overnight facilities, which I guess is 
is uh, even more interesting in the context of a Fed meeting next week and, and what they might do about it. Can you um, just perhaps give us a bit of background on, on what's really going on there and, and what you think they, they might do about it? Yeah, and, and keep in mind, I mean, you know, for people that listen regularly to these podcasts, and this is a theme that we've been talking about. I mean, I wrote about this in the year ahead piece back in November. I mean, this is a theme that we all kind of knew was coming, um, essentially that there would be too much cash chasing too few very short dated, essentially risk-free overnight or, or very short dated instruments to invest it in. Um, and that's something that's come to pass. Uh, we've seen reserves spike. Holdings in government money funds have gone up a little bit of it's down the last week, but overall have been going up. Uh, bank deposits have gone up. Just a lot of cash floating around on the front end. And, and the places that you can park that, bills, overnight repo, a lot of these kind of traditional uh, uh, parking places for liquidity, you know, for corporates liquidity, um, for individuals liquidity, those are starting to dry up. We've seen cuts in bill supply. Um, and Every month, and this is something, again, we've talked about in previous podcasts, but every month the GSEs um, start collecting money from essentially mortgage payments. Before they pay those out to bondholders, they park them into repo markets. So it kind of squeezes everything else out uh, once a month. That's happening right now. And, and that's why things are getting a little bit tight this week. We had some bill paydowns, but also this GSE cash is currently in the system, you know, which is just kind of crowding out everything else. And we always see repo rates kind of declined during this week-long period. Notable now because we were already at very, very low levels. Um, so it really kind of just turns up the crank a little bit more. And we've seen SOFR hold in so far. I mean, you know, SOFR is the median of all the transactions. It's held in, um, you know, it, it, at positive levels. But if you look at the distribution, the Fed gives us the first percentile, 25th percentile, they give us these kind of ranges of where silver is trading. And if you look at the lower percentile, we do see negative trading, negative repo trading. So that's kind of picked up this week. I don't think it'll be enough to pull down the median uh, so that we get a negative SOFR print or that it starts to pull down the Fed funds rate. But if it were, if we do see that, um, you know, in, in the next day or two, the GSE cash comes out uh, uh, at the end of this week. So really uh, uh, the time for this to happen is, is kind of closing. But if we were to see that, I think the chances of the Fed Making an adjustment to their uh, uh, to their tool, their rate tools, the administered rates, IOER, the overnight RP rate, there'd be a chance that they would increase those by five basis points. And the whole point of that is to just pull the whole front end rate complex back safely above zero, so that you don't get you know negative uh, uh, you don't get negative prints on, on some of these benchmarks. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about whether the Fed will do that. I really think that's something that's much more likely to happen in June or July this year. We're going to see. Um, because of the debt ceiling, we're likely to see some pretty big bill paydowns in June or July, which again, just takes away more investment vehicles for this kind of front end cash. So it really, it's just hitting this supply and demand imbalance even more. So I think June and July is probably more likely, um, but you know, just something to keep an eye out. And I, I think some people are still looking at the Fed to maybe come in and do a preemptive adjustment to these, to these administered rates next week. And when we talk about the Fed making these adjustments, uh, do, do they have to be at FOMC meetings? You know, does it have to be at those meetings or can they do it into meeting as well if it starts? No, if no. Yeah, they've made it very clear that um, they've made it very clear that they will do this intermeeting. I think people I think the markets get kind of tied to this idea that it would happen at a Fed meeting. But if let's say tomorrow we saw the Fed funds effective rate 
tick down to five basis points, right? I think there's a good chance the Fed could come the next day and, and make an adjustment to these levels. They, they, there's really no reason why this happens has to happen in the context of an FOMC meeting. And if anything, FOMC meetings are more about policy, the big policy stance. And they don't see this as a policy change. They're not hiking rates because of a, 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 a change in their stance on the economy or the outlook. They're just doing this to, to make sure that the, that the targeted rate stays inside of the band that they've set for it. So it's really just a mechanical, technical kind of thing, um, which means it doesn't have to happen at an FOMC meeting. Um, but, I, but still the markets seem to, to focus on FOMC meetings as, as the, likely, you know, the likely delivery for these things. Yeah, I guess that's always kind of the way. Well, at least it gives us next week something, um, you know, to watch out for in what is probably going to be otherwise a, a fairly uneventful FOMC. I think they might be battling um, the ECB for, for what can be the most uninteresting meeting. <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure we'll discuss more about that next week anyway. So uh, we'll leave it there for this week. Um, thank you all for joining me again and we'll catch up next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.